Well, I'm just going to jump right into his word. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God. Wow, thank you, Lord. I'm just going to open up, if you could, if you have your Bible, if you can follow along with us. It's in the book of James. I want you to look with me in the book of James. And I just want to read a small chunk of scripture here and let the Holy Spirit preach. It's James chapter 1, and we're going to start with verse 2. That's James 1, verse 2. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, what does verse 3 say? Sometimes our faith is tested. So when it's tested... Your endurance, when it's tested, because it will happen, your faith will be tested. In fact, I've said it before, your faith isn't really faith until it's tested. How do you know that it's real until it has a chance to be tested, right? That's what anything that has ever been invented, anything that's ever been made uh, by a human being, the very first thing you're going to do is test it out to see if it has actual value. So... When it's tested, everybody say when your faith is tested, your endurance, or you may know this as your patience, and the NLT translates this endurance because it's not just simply the word patience, not just a simple patience, I'm patient with people, I'm learning to be patient, but it's this, it's this not moving, it's this unmovable steadfastness, it's this staying put through it all, and It says that when our faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Or it's working. Everybody say, it's working, right? Your faith, that's when it begins to go to work, right? This is the moment where your faith starts going to work. It starts growing. So the NLT says in verse 4, so let it grow. Everybody say, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed... When it's fully developed, you will be, I want you to say this out loud with me, we will be perfect, complete, and needing nothing. I thought this was amazing reading this because only a few times in the Bible, the Bible teaches of itself. Did you know that? The best way to find out what the Bible is saying is to go to what the Bible says. So many times we're trying to interpret what the Bible says and why I think this and I think that. And and many times, if not every single time, is my personal opinion, it answers itself. If there's a question, it's somewhere else in the Word is an answer. And it's not often that we get to read in the Word a line upon line uh, way to become perfect. The Bible tells us that through Christ and through His blood, We are made perfect. It's only through Jesus. Everybody, let's just get that right off the bat. It's only through Jesus. It is only through Jesus. You cannot do it on your own. I must say that all the time as a preacher, and I must understand that also as a believer myself, that it is only through Christ that Jesus told us, without me, you can do nothing. We don't do good things. We don't do partial things. We don't do some things. You do nothing without Christ. Anything you build without him is in vain. It's a waste of your time. It is only through Christ. So with Christ helping us, it says, and that's truly what faith is, because it's not faith in your abilities. It's not faith in your faith. (laughs) A lot of times people have faith in their faith, but it's faith in God. 
It's faith in God. Faith in God. It says that when you let faith work and it creates this staying put, this patient steadfastness to not move. And what are you not moving from? Are you not moving from the place you're in because you're stubborn? Or are you not moving from the place that you're in believing that God is with you and God will take care of you? Right? Don't stay stubborn. Don't get stuck and say, well, I've got faith and it's really just stubbornness. I don't want to move because I don't want to move. Sometimes our human nature can do that. I don't want to, I'm not going to budge in this area because we're that type of personality. But we must decide to stay put because we know that God is with us, God is for us, that it's only through Christ. When we get that, it says, once we get that, once you understand that, you will become fully developed. Who knows that in Christ we must develop, that in God we must grow, we must mature. I'm, I had so many books open of the Bible that I said to the Lord, and I just showed TJ before we started, I said, Lord, all this is truth, but I can't possibly do this in the time that we have. But so many books of his word, they all crisscross and say the same thing. So I will give you all the references. I'm going to try to give you some today, but if you don't believe me, I have them just for sake of time. But they all say this common theme, which is that we must grow. We must let the Lord finish doing what he started in us. We must develop. We must mature. We must grow up. We must continue, and so on. There is no stagnancy in Christ. There is no stagnancy in the world. I've said this before. The earth is not stagnant. Nothing in the earth dies. To be really perfectly honest, there's no such thing as death. Yes, that animal, its life in particular is dead, and so is that tree that falls down its in particular, is dead, but it brings more life, right? Even the American Indians who remembers learning about the American Indians, right? They took their, the dead, the rest of the fish, and, and, uh, and, and you know, if you mulch, you might take your, your old garbage and your debris, and it, it creates more life. That's the best soil that you can get, right? Dead stuff. So there's no such thing really as a stagnancy, as a, there's no deadness in God. It's constantly, it's dying and growing, dying and growing. That's the way that this life is. We must let it continue. And when we let it continue, everybody say, let it continue. You'll be perfect, complete, and need nothing. Who wants to get to that place? And the Bible, the Bible tell us that that's a place that we could get to if it wasn't a place we could get to. It's not only is it available, but tells us to try, to aim for this, to let it work, let it grow to get to this place. Everybody say, I want to get to that place. I want to be in the place where I've been perfected. I want to be complete. I want to need nothing. Everybody say, I want to need nothing. And then it says something here in verse 5, which verse 5 and 6, 
through actually five through eight have been taken out of James, and I don't have an issue with that either, and used on its own as its own theology. I don't have any problem with that because I think that it's a truth. But in the context here of James, what he says in verse five, he says, and if you need wisdom, what's he talking about? Let's go back to verse four. It says, you will need nothing. It's the word, maybe you have it in your translation as lack. You will lack nothing. If you let this process work, if under pressure, under trial, under the fires of life, just going through life, we have mountaintops and we have valleys, right? We have good times and we have bad times. And through it all, we were just having a conversation on Tuesday night here at church. And uh, I don't know if I said it or someone said it, but that every single up every single thing you go through is an opportunity to grow. Every single conversation, every single experience, it is always an opportunity to grow. There is your choice to not grow, to be stagnant, but there's always the opportunity to respond like Christ or respond like the way you want to respond. And it's constantly, every time we respond like Christ and not like us, a little bit of us dies that day. And we want us to die, don't we? That's the Bible. That's not my opinion. The Bible says that we must die. The flesh in you is no good. Jesus didn't need to go to the cross for a good man. Jesus went to the cross for ugly, for flesh, dirty, low. Then he makes us right. He will make us if we'll let him. Everybody say, let him. He'll make you perfect, complete, and need nothing. And verse 5 now, and if you need something, it can even be said that there is no excuse for Christians. Jeannie and I were talking about this recently. Really, Christians have no excuse. We have his word. We have God's promises. We have the Holy Spirit. We have each other, etc. There's really no excuse for us to ever doubt God. And we do. <laughs> we do. While you're going through that process, this is important to notice, to note this in James, because he immediately says, and if you do lack, you won't lack. And if you do, this is the answer. If you lack anything, if you need anything, if you need wisdom, not just specifically, see, there's human wisdom, and I don't have time. I've been studying, studying, studying on the, this. There's human, have, they have philosophy, and there's knowledge, right? Humans love, maybe not in this church, but humans love being smart. <laughs> humans love showing their smartness to others, the smarter you are, the more they show it too. And there is philosophy and knowledge and wisdom. Those aren't necessarily bad things, but we need the wisdom of God. Everybody say, we need the wisdom of God. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. If you need wisdom... Ask God. There's one answer. You know, it is not really right. I've been meditating on this thought to say God's way is the best way. That's actually wrong. Is that there's a, a lot of Christians say 
your best life is in Christ, the best thing you can do is, is ask for God's help. That's actually not right. <laughs> Maybe it's a play on words, but I feel like the Holy Spirit really checked me on that. It is the only way. In Christ, it is literally God's way and any other way. There is, there is not a best way and a mediocre way. The Bible tells us, and I can see it's in Romans 8. You know Romans 8? Just for sake of time, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to go there. Romans 8, the flesh way, the human way equals what? What's it say in Romans 8? Death. The spirit way is life. Your way, human way, human knowledge, human's way is death. God's way is life. There is not good. That's why Jesus said it. There is not truth. Even Jesus right before the cross, the question's being asked, what is truth? There is no such thing as truth. There is no such thing as life. There's no such thing as a good way, wisdom, knowledge, etc. Any of it, any of it, not inspired by God is actually death. To be biblical, not my opinion, not my opinion, but by the Bible, any other way is not on a gauge from best to mediocre to terrible. That's a terrible idea. Any idea other than God's is going to result what the Bible says in death. So he tells us to ask God when you're going through it and you need the Lord to help you. He wants to help you. Whenever we're facing anything, there is not one obstacle that you will face that the Lord hasn't also provided. What's the Bible say? A way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10.13. If we could just pull that up there. 1 Corinthians 10.13. It tells us very clearly Jesus is with us, isn't he? He says, the temptations in your life are, everybody say, no different. Everybody thinks that they're, no, 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 you don't know my story. <laughs> everybody thinks that your story is unique. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, including what it doesn't say here, but we know by the Bible, who's, including who? Even Jesus Christ. Even Jesus, in order for his blood to be fair, to represent your blood, faced all the temptations you face. Even Jesus here, it's no different. But it, what does it say? It says that God is faithful. He will not allow. Everybody say he will not allow. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So not my opinion, but by the word, when we don't endure and when we don't stand, there's only one answer. Not my opinion, by the word. It means that, was God unfaithful? Absolutely not, never. Did God not show you a way out? Absolutely not. Never. He always is faithful. He will always show you the way out. We just decide that we know better. 
We decide that our wisdom or other wisdom is better. So let's go back to James. What's it saying here? James 4, ask God. And then it says, I'm sorry, in James chapter 1, verse 4, into verse 5, ask God. And then it says here in verse 6, everybody say, but when you ask him, now this is a principle of faith that I think you could take this out and say this is of faith, but specifically here, when you ask him for what? When you ask God for wisdom, once you tell God, God, I want to know what you think. <laughs> God is not a debater. God is not a democracy. <laughs> God is not an opinion. God's word is not a way. God's opinions are not opinions. God is truth. God is life. When you ask God for wisdom because you're going through it and he wants to help you, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. Everybody say waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Who's ever seen a wave like some of these crazy hurricanes that we've had? You ever see these waves? They just have no direction at all. You know the waves? He's not talking about the waves that just come and, and they have a pattern. He's talking about this is a storm time, a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Once the wind gets control of that water, it's amazing how the wind can actually raise the water. You know, there's, no, any, there's never any more water in the ocean, more or less. So how does it get 15 and 20 feet above the shoreline? The wind literally grabs that water and pushes it, and it just keeps piling up and creates a big mess, doesn't it? The Bible says that once we tell God, God, I want to do things your way. I want to be led by you. And we waver. This is what we're like. We are like a wave out of control. In fact, you know, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. You know what he said? When you try to have control, ironically, right, is when you get out of control. Ironically, do we think that God knows best? Is God God? When we try to figure stuff out and when we get counsel, either from friends and family outside of God or from this world or from our feelings, I don't feel God right now. I don't feel like doing this. I don't think, I don't feel etc. When we rely on anything other than God being God, we have become divided. Everybody say divided. We are divided within. And why are we divided? Because, and I want to paint this picture, because the old you is on the cross with Christ. 
And that old you wants to rule. It wants to try to come back to life. It wants to try to be in control. But Jesus is now in control of our lives because we told him so. And once we've told him, God, I want, well, this is what we do. You ready? Here we are. Lord, forgive me. Come into my life. I surrender my life. Okay, that was a nice prayer. Now, what do I want to do with my life? Let's see. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Lord's going to be with me. You'll be with me. Thank you, Lord. You're with me. He's like, yeah, I'm with you, but what about that prayer you prayed? Oh, I know. I'm surrendering my life. What's your will? But make it quick because I got to make a decision. Verse 7. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. What is he talking about here in James? Is it just, I don't have enough faith? No. It says, the people that aren't going to receive anything are those that tell God, I want to follow you. And then they pull together all the other opinions and feelings of themselves and others and What's going on in today's world? What is, well, well it, listen, I'll give you proof right here. There are Christians who still call themselves Christians who don't believe in the book of Genesis anymore. In fact, TJ and I talked about one that we used to really like listening to. And uh, he had some really good music and some really powerful stuff. Um, but he believes that there is, that Genesis is not accurate, believes in Jesus, but that we evolved. Now, it doesn't say that in the Bible. It doesn't say that in God's word, but he feels, based upon science and upon the opinions of the rest of the world, that there's no way that we can be right. They have science, we don't. Gets crazy, doesn't it, quick? That's just one really silly example. I mean, it's not. I think he still believes in the blood of Christ, still believe that he's saved. That's between him and God. But when we start rewriting God, we just start rewriting his word because of the populace, we're going to get in big trouble. We need to find out what God says, what God wants, what God's way is. What does God say? What does God want? And it's his way or the highway, right? There is no other way. There is the narrow way, that leads to life. And what does the Bible say? What's the Bible say of itself? Few find it. I didn't say that. That's not my opinion. I'm not out there trying to make few find it. Because that's, I'm not trying to fulfill that verse. I'm trying to be that example and whoever I can share the life of Christ so that they would be one of the few. But the Bible says that few will find it. But it says broad and wide is the road that leads to destruction. It's real easy. The populace. I don't want to get political, but don't get involved in all the populace right now. We need to be praying for God to be above this nation, not picking sides. We need the Lord right now, like majorly. Yeah, we ended a shutdown, but we need the Lord in this nation. And I'm not telling you to go home and say, well, I need to pick, you know, I need to start praying for this party to become more powerful, have more power. That is not the answer. 
the populace is always just going to end up becoming this wide, destructive thing. That's what the Bible says. Broad and wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many go that route. But we are weird. Not by choice, we are. We need to just embrace the fact that we're weird. We need to stop trying to be like the world. We need to stop trying to make the church and our Christianity close. The Holy Spirit just started just teaching, started just talking to me, and just embrace the fact that you're weird. Because what happens is we want other people to know the Christ we have. We know the weird Christ. He's not weird. It's just the Bible says of itself. I'm just going to keep quoting scripture. My ways are not your ways. Okay? We're not uh, normal. He's normal. We're weird. But God seems weird to our normal. But if we try to make God logical and make God normal, that's what we do. We filter God. We filter him to reach people. Well, I'm going to filter out all the weirdness so that this person doesn't get weirded out. We're not helping God, are we? All we're doing is giving them a different Jesus and a different gospel. And in fact, what's happening is, is we are actually in a place where what this is really talking about is once you decide to be a real deal believer, he's telling you just fact, things are going to come where what you really believe is going to be tested. This is fact. Don't be surprised and don't be worried and you're not in sin necessarily. You may be in sin and going, it's between you and the Lord. But just because something has come against your life to rock your boat, it does not mean that you're in a wrong place. It says that that's good because now it makes us rely on God. But what we must do is just rely on Him. This is the moment where we need to grab a hold of God more than ever before. Who's ever been in that position? Who's in it right now? where you need more of God right now than you ever have in your life. I, in fact, I truly believe that those who really want God, you know what God does? You can call it the devil. You can call it fallen kingdom, whatever you want. He lets that thing go on purpose. You know who responds to God the best? People who have it all or people who realize that they don't have it all together. The people that are broken, the people that were cast aside, the whole Bible is filled with outcasts. And the reason that the Lord could use them is because they don't think they have it together. They don't think they're somebody. And those that did, we, I taught on Saul recently, as soon as he thought he could do it and had it together, it was the greatest downfall of the word, of the Old Testament rather. Really the greatest, because it says that he, and when we looked at his story, and I never fully grasped what God said to him, God would have established his kingdom like he promises to David. We talk about David, 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 Jesus, the descendant of David. It would have been Jesus, the descendant of Saul, and lost it because he went into his own strength. There's such a danger in it, and, and what it says is that you become out of control. <laughs> you get into a place of... 
who's ever been in that place? Like, I just need some bearings. I just, I feel so out of whack. I just need, and what I do, I've learned, I just run back to God because I know what it is now. And I just feel like, I just feel out of whack. Who gets like that? Am I the only one or am I just preaching to myself? And I just know now, I just need to get back to the Lord. It means I'm trying to grab control a little bit too much. I know, I know what's happening here. Beep, 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 I feel out of whack. The Lord's not out of whack. The Lord's stable. The Lord's in control. Remember the disciples, they're tossing around on the boat. Here comes Jesus, right? Drinking a root beer. Oh, you guys are, what's the matter? What's the problem? You thought you were going to die? He just comes walking all across the waves. Jesus is stable. God is stable. When we start going out of control, now does that mean we know in the story, the Bible says the waves and the wind, they don't stop in that particular case because Peter gets out and walks on them. And once he sees them that they exist, that's when he sinks. So they were still there. So Jesus had the ability to walk through it, not necessarily just to tell it to come, but sometimes you're going to go through it. But the key was that, and the key, the key was for him is that he was not, that wasn't his world. He was connected to the Father as we must be connected to the Father and him alone so that then we'll be stable. And in verse seven says that then if what's reverse it, once we're perfect and complete and, we, and we're one with God and we're in that place, what's it say? then you can receive anything from the Lord. Well, that's very interesting because Jesus tells us over and over again, and sometimes we wonder, how come our prayers aren't being answered? Jesus, how come you said, ask anything and it will be done and it's not being done? And is it possible because we're not in the place yet where we're asking for the right things? Are we still asking for flesh? Are we still praying are we not in the place yet where we are settled and stable and grown and complete and perfect and fully developed, where then we can just, Jesus didn't, have, there was no hesitation, but because Jesus, we don't realize fully that he wasn't just the son of God who had superpowers, but Jesus paid the price. We don't realize that Jesus paid the price Jesus gave up his life. That's what the Bible tells us. It's not my opinion. Jesus said that he didn't even consider himself equal with God. He lowered. You have to realize he left his place in heaven. He left that place and became just as human as us. But he submitted to the Father. We have to understand that Jesus was able to complete and do what he was able to do because he was submitted to the Father. Jesus is 12 years old, and he is talking with those of the word, and they're astounded at what he knows. He is spending time growing in the Lord. In fact, his ministry doesn't even start. He's fully secluded and separated and doesn't even start until he's 30 years old. For 30 years, he just grew and developed. And then even then, and this is the point really that we must get to, I'm trying to get to actually, I'm setting all this up to this, that even Jesus in a settled, stable, committed, submitted person didn't do any miracles, didn't do anything. There's not one documented anything until he's baptized in the, in the River Jordan and the Holy Spirit comes. 
And the Bible tells us that Jesus only did what the Spirit told him to do and only said what the Spirit told him to say. If Jesus lived his life that way, I would have lived my life that way. Jesus was in the place where he could ask and do anything, but yet he was submitted. And I think that the Lord, I know that the Lord is bringing us to a place as believers. He's been trying to bring all believers for all time to this place of complete and total submission. It's the only reason we read in James 2 that the trials come so that faith is tested. He says, consider it. What's he say? Consider it. And right, and I've heard these sermons before and it's like we go, yeah, consider it joy. Why do we consider it joy? It's a happy day when your strength fails, when your intellect fails, when your knowledge fails, when you can't do it. That's a happy thing. That's a joyous moment where you have to rely on God. In fact, I believe, and as I've said, that God will even let those moments come on purpose, not to watch you suffer, doesn't want to hurt you, but so that you have no choice but to turn to Him. Once we turn to Him, then He starts moving, doesn't He? It says in verse 8 that their loyalty is divided between God and the world. Now, the NLT takes a little license here, and they steal this concept from chapter 4, In the book of James, the New King James says that he is a double-minded man. Everybody say double-minded. He's a double-minded man. What is a double-minded man? What is the man that has divided loyalty? Unstable in all their ways or in everything they do. They are unstable because they have two minds. What are these two minds? What are we talking about here? What are the two minds of the book of James? And it is very simple. It's very simple. It's that God has taken you from your human flesh state and crucified you with Christ on the cross, but your mind must learn. Everybody say it must learn. Your mind, we're still in, I don't, know what to call it. I've been calling it this in-between state. It's the in-between. It's the in-between between you saying yes to Christ. This is the picture. Are we, make, are we doing all right today? Amen. Let me just quickly. Jesus saved us. I'm just going to read my list so it's quick. Jesus saved us, right? The Holy Spirit starts calling you. Unsaved, he calls you. We answer, yes, Lord. Now, instantly, once we say yes, the Spirit crucifies our flesh with Christ, and we're resurrected with Him. Now, God the Father sees you instantaneously. He sees you as if He sees Christ. What He sees is an instantaneous, He sees you, because God is, this is the thing, we, we cannot try to understand God's Word, under, under, try to understand anything in God with our human intellect. You must receive everything that God says by your Spirit. John chapter 5 says, Jesus said to those that that knew the word, he said, you're searching for me. You're searching to find eternal life in the scriptures. But what you don't realize, the scriptures point to me. And he was talking to a people that had had to see 
spiritually and not just in their intellect, in their mind. Your human intellect, we could say your mind has a mind of its own. As funny as that is to say, I just watched something recently where they were showing these guys going into meditation. Now just, you know, whatever you want to call it, you want to call it Eastern religion or just what these guys weren't even calling it religious. We, want, we would call that, but just they were, con- they were calming their mind and they watched it on a computer and they watched their brain waves come down to almost nothing. And then they got to a place of total calm and total peace and all of a sudden their mind starts spiking again. Now their human body is calm and their mind is calm. They're not, they've just cleared their mind out. They're not thinking of anything because there's so much happening in the subconscious without just push all the religion away. You know, they're doing it religiously and I don't really care. Push all the religious stuff away. There's something happening. Your subconscious, your mind is fighting for control. Who has to be convinced of that? Anybody here have to be convinced that your mind wants its way? But the Bible tells us that we have been given the mind of Christ. So what's happening here is that once, even though instantaneously you are perfect in your glorified state, your spirit, God sees your spirit through the spirit of Jesus, through the blood. And even though instantaneously, because God, and that's what I was starting to say, you can't, don't try to get this in your mind. You got to let your spirit get this. God is looking to you outside of time. In fact, it's been said that God's looking at the you at your death, right? God's looking at you at the finish line. He's not looking at you at the starting line. God doesn't judge you by today. God judges you by who he sees you're going to be and not by who you are today. Thank God for that, by the way. Is anybody uh, mad at that? Right? And what's funny is, and I, <laughs> this is funny, we demand God look at us that way. We don't ever say that, but we really do. Because anytime we do or say anything wrong, we expect God's grace and forgiveness instantaneously and automatically. Do we not as believers? Which I'm not saying is wrong, and God's given us that, but that proves also that God is seeing you in a perfected place But does that mean that there is not something also happening here? I call, like I said, in the in-between. In the earthly place, there's still an earthly mind, right? Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus is perfect. And yet Jesus had to live and be tempted by the devil and complete that process in the earthly realm to get to his supernatural place. I don't know how else to say it, but there was an earthly walking out that takes you to the cross and then beyond into eternity. And Jesus is the way. Jesus is a road. Jesus is not just a ticket. Jesus is not just a name. I just don't have time. That's why I'm just letting the Holy Spirit talk. But man, there's so much. James 4, or the book of James, he starts saying, you know, well, I have faith. And he's like, great, you have faith. But even the demons believe and they tremble. It's not just the simple belief. It's the 
working and walking it out. It's the fruit. It's the growing. It's the maturity. It's happening not because you're trying or there's some little magical formula uh, that has been put over your life or or that you're doing, but that you are willing to stick it out with God and God is doing something in you. And then what happens? The fruit starts coming on its own. You're not trying to grow. So, qu- so quickly, the Holy Spirit goes to work on our present tense. When we stay close to him, we stay under the perfect blood. That's why we must stay close to Christ. How many times did Jesus ask them, are you going to leave? Right? Are, 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 do you believe? Do you, do you want to stay? Do you want to follow me? Why does he ask that question? Why does Jesus say, before you follow me, count the costs? Why does Jesus say that he's not pleased with those that start and then turn back? And this is the picture. If you stay close to Jesus, all that God sees is Jesus. When we get out from that covering, we get out from under his blood, the Lord's not necessarily, he's not, I need to be clear, he's not sending those wind, winds and waves. God doesn't need to. The devil can do that all on his own. This world will do that all on its own. You stay close to Christ, you stay in perfect peace, we stay in joy, we stay in comfort, we stay in life. We get out from under his blood, and now we are on our own, so to speak. We start getting, and now there is grace in between. Thank God for grace. Who knows about grace? And who knows when you've been in grace? Anybody willing to say, I was in grace in that time? That was grace. It's always grace, but I started becoming real. I started realizing that was grace because it lets you get out from under that umbrella. And I started feeling the rain and I knew I needed to get back under there. Anybody getting this? But it's a process. Everybody say it's a process. We're not perfect yet in present tense, but to God outside of time we are. Isn't that incredible? To God, because he's outside of time, you're perfect. But then James tells us to become perfect. And it's really so simple. It is just, it's this simple, but we mess it up because we really, we want other things. And this is what James 4 says. Let's just go to James 4. It's so simple. It's literally just staying close to Jesus. We have to realize The word of God is so incredibly powerful. Who can agree? That has changed your life. But who heard someone read the word from Genesis to Revelation and got saved? Anybody here? Or did someone tell you, listen, I know your life's a mess, but turn it over to Jesus. And you said, yes. And instantaneously something spiritual happened. Who had that experience? Did anybody read Genesis to Revelation and then say, now I want to know Christ. Anybody in here? We have to realize that it's a spiritual thing and that it's a Jesus thing. We can even read the word and be in his word and get away from Jesus. We know that because when Jesus was tempted with the three temptations of Christ, do you know what Satan used? To tempt him? Word, word, word. Even Satan knows the word. It's not just knowing the Bible. It's not just being around Christians. It is truly a heart, like what James 1 tells us, and it's such a clear picture, 
I want to listen to you. I want to know you. And I don't just want to know about you, but I really want to know you. And I want to stay close to you. It's that simple. That's the gospel right there. We can all go home. That's the gospel. It's that simple. So James 4 verse 1 says, and I'll close with this chunk of scripture here. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? It says, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. <laughs> Isn't the Bible amazing though? Isn't it amazing? It's such truth. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what other has, but you what other others have, so but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Verse 3. And even when you ask, everybody say, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong and you want only what will give you pleasure. And I can even interpret it like this. What James is saying is, is you have decided to listen to God, to follow God, get his will, Put his will inside of you. I mean, I just, for sake of time, but Colossians, Galatians, Romans, Philippians, they all tell us that there is the old. We've stripped off the old. We're transformed. Your old you is gone. We've died. We're new. This is picture of us laying down everything. And yet the real struggle, the only reason that there are struggles in Christianity still, and there will continue, is because of flesh. It is a simple answer. If we're truly surrendered and truly Christ, Christ didn't fight with anyone. People fought with Christ. Jesus didn't need to fight with anyone. It will continue because of flesh. So this can be even be interpreted as you are asking for what you don't understand. You only ask for pleasures because you don't realize your perspective. If you're asking for the pleasures of this world and things of this world, your perspective is skewed. You're missing the bigger picture, the grand scheme of the universe, of God himself and of the sun and how, and how Satan tricked humanity into this lower realm. The place you're living now, we can live in, in dominion in Christ, but you have to come to terms with this is not God's design. God did not design the earth like this. This is a trick. We were tricked into this realm. Jesus redeemed us, but showed us. I mean, he said it over and over and over again. Don't store it up here. Remember, don't forget, Adam and Eve were eternal, and they walked with me, and they had everything. Don't forget that. Don't focus on here. He's not telling you don't live here, don't have uh, friendships and fellowship and, and do things here on earth, but don't let this earth have you. And many times what we're asking for, we're asking God because we just don't understand because we need to get his will, we need to get his heart. The first prayer is come back to him and get his heart. And that's what James really tells us here. It says, it says, 
in the New King James verse uh, 5, it says, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that, this is what it says. It says, the spirit who dwells in us, it yearns jealously. He's telling you, you need to get back. It's very simple. You're, you're struggling and you're, and you're asking God and, and you're in this war because we need to get back to that place where we start, we need to get God's heart and we start asking him his heart, asking him his will. Even Jesus, we forget this, but in the garden said, Lord, this is what I want, but your will be done. This is, is there another way, but your will be done. Even Jesus, the son of God, who that's what he was born. He was born to die. He wasn't born to be a baby. I love celebrating Christmas. He wasn't born to be a baby. He was born to die. And even he wrestled. There was still a human mind in there that said, this is going to be painful. I don't want to go through this. Is there another way? Yet your will be done. And he says in verse six, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God. God will come close to you. See, look at this picture. Look at this picture. It says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Isn't that ironic that we are trying to lift ourselves up in our human nature, not here in this church, right? We're not. But humans are trying to lift themselves up, prop themselves up, build themselves up, create something for themselves. And the picture, see, God's kingdom is upside down, right? It's opposite. The first or the last, the least shall be greatest, greatest shall be least, etc. God's kingdom is opposite. The way to come up, the way to, to really to grow is to go down. You have to get low. You have to humble yourself. And it's so clear in here in his word. And this is what just, just, just this, just go home with this. Lord showed me as like a circle that's always going. It's always moving. It's a cycle. And it's this. It's a pattern of revelation, which is just understanding who God is. That was as simple as that, right? That's why I said that. All it was is, yeah, I don't know why, Jesus, you're the way. I know nothing about you. I have some Bible stories, maybe as some background, but I just know you're the way. We've had a revelation. Who had that revelation in here? That Jesus is the way. You wouldn't be in here if you didn't have that revelation, right? We had that revelation. It's so simple. We had a revelation, and then there's no action really yet. It's just a revelation. There's no action. I just, I understand. Yes, you have to understand God. Okay, you're God. And then what happens is this. Then we have reverence. There's revelation, then reverence, which is what? Okay, now that I understand who you are, we humble ourselves before you. Yes, Lord, I'll give you my life. We reverence him, we humble ourselves. It's belief in action. And then finally, and you can't repent until you understand who God is. You get low before him, then finally, and that's what James 4 is saying, then a repentance comes and it's the fulfilling, it's God's will being worked out. Who has been saved for a long time and is still having revelation, being humbled lower and repenting more? 
sometimes, you know, even uh, Benjamin was here a few months ago and he said to me something I had to really take home, but he said, deeper repentance will come. And at first that sounds, I was like, whoa, you're like, you go home to the Lord and I'm like, hey, Lord, what are you saying? And then today, you know, coming full, I, 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 had, I didn't struggle and, and, and then go on a quest and say, okay, God, what does it mean for the last three months? Just, okay, then you do it. You reveal it. And I really believe today the Lord really brought that moment even to full circle. This just, it, the more I understand who God is, you're naturally going to get lower. The lower you get, what's the very first thing they all did every time they saw, even angels, but just because they'd been with God. They weren't God. And the angel would tell them, stand up. But just like Moses, Moses with God, there's a glory. What, is, what happens to every single one of them? They drop down on their face. You can't help it. And then they... I'm a sinful man. I'm impure, right? Who has had a revelation from the Lord? You've been walking with the Lord a long, 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 long time, and you're still having revelations driving you to reverence and repenting. And really, that's it. That's what I want to talk about today, that that circle, that cycle, and that's in James 1, and, and I, there's so much more, and you know that I could take your time in, with it. There's so much in this even more. I just can't, but I, I'm going to try to keep getting into it. But then we just need to let that cycle. It's just, a, it's a never ending cycle. That's it. That's always, you just stay in that place. It's not complex. Automatically, more stuff comes out, more of him comes in. You just stay on that cycle. And as soon as we stop, we get out of whack, right? Just like the clay. We can look at that, as I said earlier in prayer, the clay, if it gets off to the side, it starts spinning wildly, the waves of the sea, we just stay in that place, let him do it. He's going to keep taking off more, keep shaping, keep molding, but we have to stay there. We have to keep, we cannot go to our own opinion, our own feelings, our own ways, try to make it logical, try to figure it out. You will not. Just get, it over, get that over with now. You're never, ever going to just say, yes, Lord. Amen.